Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA podcast on flowcombat.com is brought to you by my favorite MMA and BJJ clothing brand. I, of course, am talking about ADK Fightwear. ADK is a family-owned business in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. They've got high-quality gear at affordable prices. Don't believe me? Head on over to ADKFightwear.com and check them out for yourself. And to make it even more affordable than it already is, we're giving our listeners 20% off their whole first order when they go to ADKFightwear.com and use promo code TURTLE. That's TURTLE. T-U-R-T-L-E. And you're going to get 20% off that whole first order. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to the Predator, Francis Naganu, who fights Derek Lewis at UFC 226. Uh, Francis, uh, after your last fight, you said you were going to step away, head home, uh, get some time in with family that you've been missing. What was one of the first things you did when you got home? Uh, the first thing I did when I get home, I think, is like... Uh meet my family, meet people, you know, and uh, greet with them. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I, and then also, also meet my friends. That's, that's awesome, and especially after, you know, being on the grind so long. But we could see uh, you got back to the grind pretty quickly, uh, and we could see recent pictures of you working at Syndicate MMA with John Wood. Is that where you've done this entire training camp leading up to this fight? Um, most most of my training camp was uh, was there, yes. Mm-hmm. And and, and what sort of prompted your decision to move to that gym and to do most of it at a, a gym instead of the Performance Institute? I mean, um, you know, after when when I moved here last year, so I didn't make things um set up things around so uh when i got the title fight the title fight contra in six weeks i that is when i realized that uh i should make something set something around me uh, uh because i i i went to Paris, i went back to paris three weeks before the fight because uh i didn't like they they couldn't come uh, they couldn't came here like uh, come here like uh, right away and I need them I still uh, count of them you know I can still be with them but have came here and then that was some uh, some fact very important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely and and so the other benefit I can imagine working with. Uh, a team like Syndicate MMA is you probably have a couple more training partners a little closer to your size. Is that true? Have you been working with you know some bigger heavyweights there? Uh, they are not really a big uh, heavyweight there, but uh, we we find some uh, some heavyweight around, and then even if uh, we have to make uh, f- fly them in, we fly them and then take care of everything. And so, who has been a couple of your the heavyweights that maybe you've flown in or been working with? Um, we find some some guy in Florida, uh, Dustin. Dustin, 
Clement, Clement, and uh, yes, find some guy around here. Awesome. So let's talk about the fight a little bit now. So, you know, Derek Lewis kind of been calling you out for a while leading up to this fight. Why do you think Derek Lewis wanted to fight you, of all people, so badly? Uh, that is his problem. You should ask him the question. So my, pro- my, my only concern is, okay, does that fight going to happen? And then uh, what's going to happen in that fight? That's my concern. Mm-hmm. And and how do you see that fight going? I I know Derek, you know, is it tends to wrestle a little bit, but he likes to stand and punch too. What way do you see this fight going? Well, um, uh, I learned that I I don't have to see the fight going anywhere. I get to be prepared and then uh, just take the fight as it came. You know, just uh, make sure I shop I shipping sharpen everything and uh, put everything on point and we will see so that's the the really thing to do that that makes a lot, point. that that makes a lot of sense too and and you know you mentioned sharpening all of your tools we've seen you do a lot of grappling under John Wood do you feel like your grappling's really come along since your last fight well i mean it's it's like um um, I don't know how to say, but you know, I I haven't put uh, for my last fight. The main issue wasn't. I mean, I I know I agree that everything has to improve. My grappling. I've been doing this for only for uh, four years and a half, but uh, I I still don't. I still think that. The thing, the main issue wasn't my uh, grappling or wrestling defense because um, if you watch, go back to some of my, of my fight, you will see that I I bent through some of this and then I handled I handled it uh, very well. But uh, this time things was different because I get tired really quick. Than I mean, even the first round I used to be over sometime like two rounds. And then don't get tired like this. And I think it's all the way that uh, I managed. I managed the fight. Who was uh, who was wrong? So for me, that is the main issue. That's the the thing that um, uh, the fact that I have to go all the way to Paris and all that. Plus, you know, you yeah. So it was many things. But uh, for that training camp, I have. A, Good, uh, good wrestling, um, uh, training, good jujitsu training. I mean, I thought his team was a point, but I, I ignore some facts, you know. Absolutely, and that that makes perfect sense too. I, I've heard you know long flights obviously uh, do a number on conditioning. Let, let's talk about Stipe for just a second, because now you're you know on a card where Stipe is fighting in the main event. Who do you think wins the fight between Stipe and, and Daniel Cormier? Uh, honestly, I don't, I don't know, and I'm, I don't really care about that. I just want to get uh, my way back and get the uh, the title back and get my also my redemption against Stipe. That's my only concern. 
And do you think with a win you would be looking at that rematch, or do you think you need maybe one more fight after that? Maybe one more fight after that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, um, and, and you know, I'm, we're just about to the end of this interview, Francis, and I, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more of a fun question because I'm—I know you're a little bit of a, a football fan. Uh, obviously, your your native home of Cameroon didn't make it, but France. Uh, is about to face off in the the round of 16. How do you think they're going to do in that uh, that matchup? Well, French is really French is doing pretty good, so I can see them go far in this World Cup. But you know, this is uh, now we're going to get into the second two, so this is when the real World Cup begins begins. So. And then uh, something might surprise us, but I think France is on point. And then, uh, yes, indeed, uh, my hometown, my uh, Cameroon didn't make it, but, um, and then even the Africa country who make it, the, most of them didn't pass. So we're still expecting for Senegal to go uh, win the match tomorrow against Colombia on at least have a draw. To go to the second uh, second two, so at least we will have one country, African country in the second two because there were five, and then they get all eliminated. I mean, uh, Nigeria, a- Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco. But yes. Well, we're we're certainly pulling for him for you too, and we'll make sure to keep an eye on that France matchup. Uh, Once again, Francis Naganu fights Derek Lewis at UFC 226. Francis, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome, man. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Dan the Hangman Hooker, who fights Gilbert Burns this weekend at UFC 226. So, Dan, uh, let's start off by talking about your career a little bit. You were three and three at featherweight in the UFC before heading to lightweight, and you're three and zero oh since getting there with three super impressive finishes. What's the difference between you at lightweight and you at featherweight? Um, I get to eat food and train at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's simple enough. So, were you saying that the the weight cut to get down to forty five was making you basically starve yourself, not have the energy? Yeah, like it was, it was just taking too much out of my body. Like I was taking too much away uh, from my skill. I guess more like the dehydration, um, getting down to the weight, hindered my ability to think more than anything. And I feel like as a fighter, that's one of my my biggest tools is my ability to think and uh, react inside of the cage so i think it's different for some fighters who fight more instinctually uh and they don't think as much but for me someone someone that you know is constantly thinking and assessing things uh it it took too much away from that that's really interesting too because you know there's a lot of stuff out there in the news now about weight cutting you know at pretty much every mma outlet's covering it but not a lot talking about that aspect of it do you think that that's an underrepresentative aspect of weight cutting yeah, like, it, you know, it takes too much away from your brain. I just feel like it was impacting my performance, and it was not, like, it, it wasn't me allowing to do my skill justice, you know? Like, I feel like I'm one of the most skillful guys out there, so 
and it was taking away from that. So I just, I, I said, you know, I'd rather go out fighting at my, fighting at my best, fighting at my natural weight, as opposed to fighting this kind of depleted half version of myself. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about your, your weight as it is. So lightweight, definitely the most interesting division. It's probably the most stacked and most packed division. You got three straight finishes, still aren't ranked in the top 15. Do you think a win here warrants putting you in the top 15? Do you think you should already be there? Um, I don't think anything's given. Like, it's such, it's such a deep division. Like, the guys that are in there have definitely earned their spot. You know, I'm only three fights back at the weight class uh it, it doesn't bother me at all like i feel like the bigger win streak you have behind you uh the quicker you're going to get somewhere anyway so whether the, i'm in the rankings now or whether i get there in you know two more fights and i'm on a firefight streak like it really doesn't make a difference to me Interesting. And, and do you think there's anybody in that, that top 15 who, you know, obviously not looking past Burns, who we'll talk about in a minute, but is there anybody in that top 15 that you're looking at for a, a matchup to sort of prove you belong there? Um, I feel like any of the names in there, like, warrant respect. Like, it's it's funny. Like, Lightweight's so deep that everyone, and everyone knows that. You know, everyone knows how deep Lightweight is and how, how stacked it is. And the names there are, are very recognizable. So I think any name inside of that top 15 uh, pairs up very well with mine. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk about this fight now because obviously this is the fight that's happening this week. So we want to talk about that a little bit. So this fight's going to be your third straight in the United States. Um, obviously, it's a big trip for you. Do you enjoy this? Uh, would you rather fight at home? Uh, sort of what do you what do you do to get ready when you're you're traveling so far away from home? Uh, it's just something you have to respect. Like you have to respect the time difference. Uh, we we account for it big time over here. So we train seven days a week purely because uh, you know most people take Sunday off. But Sunday is you know midday Sunday is Saturday night in the US. So we come in midday Sunday or Sunday afternoon, and we we train just to get the the body firing at that time. Um, so yeah, we definitely plan like our entire training camp around when our fighters and account for the time difference and things like that. And yeah, we we get over seven days earlier, uh, just to get used to used to the trip and get over the kind of jet lag that comes with it. You're a bit dusty for a, f- a couple of days, <laughs> but it, it clears it out. And yeah, my third one, so I'm I'm pretty used to it. And just being from New Zealand, like we're so used to traveling. I think my my second fight I ever had in my life was uh, in a different country. So very used to traveling, and uh, yeah, it's it doesn't impact my performance anymore. Is, is there a place where you that you use to get ready when you're fighting? I mean, obviously they got the Performance Institute in Vegas now, might be a little bit more helpful. But is there a place where you go to get training in? In New Zealand. No, when, when when you come to the states, so you said you're here seven days early. Is there a place where you oh, know? Oh yeah, yeah, we're at the we're at the Performance Institute, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, they got they got free food. They got you know sauna, there's spa baths, mate. Me and my thirty teammates are, are coming there, and we're gonna take it over. 
<laughs> that sounds like a, a pretty good time. Well, speaking of your teammates, you before we get into your fight, you you obviously got uh, a teammate fighting the night before you with Israel Adesanya uh, in the main event. Uh, I assume are you cornering him as well, or are you just a spectator for that one? Nah, I'm just a spectator. So he's got four of our coaches coming over. I'm just a training partner. Uh, he's got. Uh, you know, some sharp minds in his corner. So he's got you know, four of our coaches are coming over to corner him. Me, uh, I'm kind of playing up by ear whether I go and watch or not. Uh, I think that I'll want to stay focused on my fight. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a real big adrenaline rush and adrenaline dump watching a teammate fight and someone you're very close with uh, compete, especially live. You know, it's hard enough watching on the television, mm-hmm. let alone... Uh, being there live and being in the atmosphere. So I'm going to play it by ear at this stage, but I'm leaning more towards, uh, you know, avoiding that whole adrenaline rush and adrenaline dump leading into my fight. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's focus on your fight here too. So uh, obviously Gilbert Burns, a very well-noted grappler. However, he's got KOs in his, his last two fights. So what are you sort of expecting for him as far as a game plan goes here? Yeah, what do you do? It's a bit of a mix of uh, pick your poison. <laughs> you know, uh, multiple time world champ on the ground and uh, a few knockouts, but these are the guys that I want to compete against. I want to compete against the best guys in the world. I want uh, I want to fight guys that people think are tough fights. Like, I don't want to take fights against people that think that, uh, you know, that are easy fights because those are hard fights to train for. When you have an easy fight, it's very difficult to get out of bed in 6 a.m., seven days a week. Uh, but as soon as you get a fighter like this, who's a champion wrestler or champion grappler, champion striker, uh, it's it's very easy to get out of bed. And it's very easy to train hard once you get a very tough opponent. So I, I'm very appreciative. Awesome. Yeah, and he, he certainly is a tough out. Now, on top of being a, you know, a really good grappler and a really good striker, too, he's also never been KO'd in his life before. Um, however, obviously, you've, you've been KO'ing some people who also haven't usually been KO'd. So do you expect to be able to get him out there, or do you expect this to be sort of like a drag him out, grind him out type of a fight? Yeah, well, I, I kind of prepare for the worst. Like, I'm going to prepare for a very difficult mashup, like a drag out war. Uh, you know, I don't go in there expecting to take the guy out and knock him out in five seconds. Or why would I? Why would I put all this effort into training camp if I thought I was just gonna walk in there, click my fingers, and the other guys gonna fall over? Like uh, I'm, I'm expecting the toughest fight I've ever had in my life, and that's the fight that I've prepared for and the fight that I've trained for. And it's certainly gonna be an exciting one. So now, usually I end with a, a prediction, but you know, it sounds like. You're pretty uh, level-headed here. You're not the type of person who's going to tell me you're going to trash somebody. So I'm going to go with a little bit different prediction. After Idesanya in your fight, uh, we've got you. You already said you got 30 New Zealanders hanging out in Las Vegas. <laughs> What's the night after Dan Hooker's UFC 226 fight look like? Dan Hooker is boring as hell. <laughs> Let's just leave it. Let's just leave it there. Israel Adesanya is going to wear his fur coat and his gold chain, <laughs> no shirt underneath, and he's going to be in town kicking up a storm, probably partying for a week straight. Dan Hooker is going to be back to his hotel room in bed asleep. 
<laughs> well, we hope uh, that's after a, a satisfactory uh, result in the cage. Once again, Dan Hooker fights Gilbert Burns at UFC 226 this weekend in Las Vegas. Dan, thank you again so much for the time. Uh, thank you. And those interviews with Francis Naganu and Dan Hooker were brought to you by Garage Fit. Look, we can't all get from BJJ to MMA to the gym. We all have lives in some capacity. We can, however, get a high-quality workout in our homes with GarageFit. Look, GarageFit gives you all you need to set up a high-quality gym right in your garage. Need heavy ropes? They got them. Need weighted vests? You betcha. Need plyo boxes? Of course they've got them. They've got it all. So head on over to garagegym.net and check out what GarageFit can do for you. And we, of course, are Dave and Dan with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. Dave, let's start by talking about Francis Naganu. All right. Well, when it comes to Francis Naganu, we here on the show have been big fans from day one. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. But I'm going to be brutally honest here. I didn't love what he said about the plane ride and that playing into his wrestling. I mean, eh. Let's just say it. He got out wrestled. Am I wrong in thinking this, Gumby? Yeah, and I, I mean, I get what he's saying too about the fact that he has stopped wrestling before. Like he he stopped Curtis Blades from taking him down, right? Like Curtis Blades took down Alistair Overeem at like a much better rate than he took down uh, Francis Ngannou. So there might be something to that. I will say that I'm super happy now that he's training at Syndicate and he's getting grappling and like whole game coaching from John Wood because as you know I'm a huge John Wood fan I think he's brilliant and it's only going to do amazing things for freaking Francis Ngannou's game agree to agree I think the silver lining in all of this is he's at the right place with the right people so you know he's still even though he's a little bit older and that's okay at heavyweight he's still young in his MMA career when you think about it um and he's a freak athlete who can probably learn takedown defense better than the average bear so it'll be very interesting to see his career progression with the right tutelage uh being a syndicate now when it comes to our boy hooker i am really excited when a guy finds his right weight class i was digging what he was putting down about not even being able to think straight at 145 feels better stronger like he uh you know he, he just feels more what's the word i'm looking for Cogent? Yeah, he he is a he's an interesting guy too because I I think that so many people are still writing him off because of his featherweight performance too. I mean, he was three and three at featherweight, and nobody was talking about him for anything other than possibly being cut. And I think if he beats Gilbert Burns this weekend, I think he's in the top fifteen at lightweight, which is crazy. But he's three and zero oh with three finishes. Uh, all against tough guys, so, I mean, he might be a ranked lightweight next. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to talk about him a little later on. Uh, there's a little preview for you in our combat countdown. We'll talk about a guy by the name of Robert Whitaker, who at 170 was a completely different fighter until he switched to 185, became a more natural weight class, his proge- progression as a professional fighter, uh, kept evolving, and it became like this perfect thing. Whitaker at 185, you know, who's to say that's not the same career trajectory for a for a Dan Hooker? Yeah, it's it, it's almost like that era. I feel like it, it, when you're thinking about like things that became really popular from time to time, like 
it, you go back like six or seven years, somebody's career was over, you're like, oh, well, he'll drop a weight class. Like, remember how many times fucking Kenny Florian dropped a weight class when he was losing a title <laughs> yeah. shot? You know, like, the dude fought yeah. at 85, 70, 55, 45, and somebody was like, yeah, he could probably make 35. <laughs> Always trying to cut weight off of people. Now it's almost the opposite. Like, we saw Whitaker's resurgence. We saw RDA's resurgence. We saw, a, to an extent, a Cowboy Cerrone's resurgence, although it went back down. Um, and now we're seeing Dan Hooker. So, yeah, it's almost like the the gain weight era or stop cutting as much weight era. Phenomenal point. Speaking of eras, what a week. Uh, we are in the International Fight Week era, which what year did International Fight Week start? Going to be 2011 or 2012 was the first ever International Fight Week. So they always made the pay-per-views in mid-July a, a big thing, but then I guess, you know, some marketing expert at Zufa said, hey, let's make it a whole shebang, almost like their version of WrestleMania week. And International Fight Week became an event, a week-long event, really. You had the UFC Hall of Fame, you had the tough finale usually on uh, Friday, and then uh, even in recent years, you'd have the extra fight night card on Friday, um, or tough would be on Thursday or whatever, the, whatever the way they did it, it almost became like a three fight card weekend, which is insane to think about. Um, so we thought this being international fight week, 2018, let's break down the top five international fight week fights of all time. So only going back about seven years, but there've been some bangers of fights. Gumby, are you ready for this week's combat countdown? I am ready. Cue the music. It's time for the Combat Countdown. All right, so we're going to switch it up a little bit this week. I will be reading off the top five. So honorable mention before we get started, uh, 2017, uh, Yoel Romero versus Robert Whitaker won was a super fun fight, but we decided it only had to be an honorable mention a little bit because... It's rewatchable, but maybe not as rewatchable as the other five fights you're about to hear about. So, that brings us to number five. Number five at UFC 162, it was the main event, Chris Weidman versus Anderson the Spider Silva won in 2013. Yeah, so what I love about this fight so much, obviously, was it was the crowning of a new king at middleweight. And Weidman did have a pretty good run with that title from July of 2013 through December of 2015 when Rockhold finally beat him. And, you know, he went on that string of beating, you know, Brazilian after Brazilian in the Silva rematch. Uh, he beat Machida in there. He beat uh, deflated Vitor Belfort in there. Uh, kind of seemed, and let's not forget, he was undefeated through all of that um, until Rockhold. Kind of seemed like he had become the new middleweight king, but you just can't take away what Anderson Silva's legacy was and for him to lose in shocking fashion while he was clowning around, uh, it almost is like a perfect pairing to the Forrest Griffin fight of three years prior, or four years prior, I should say, in August of 2009. If you remember, uh, Silva was just straight clowning Forrest. Forrest mm -hmm. couldn't land anything on him. Um, and then Silva knocked him out. Well, Silva thought he could get away with that on the young up-and-comer Weidman and no sturdy Bob. Weidman ended up clipping him on the chin, knocking him out. I always felt like we were kind of robbed of the rematch just in the fact that then we had the fluky injury later that year where Silva broke his, his ankle. 
But the fight itself, it's one of those holy shit moments in MMA. And while you said it, you know, Whitaker-Romero, great fight, but it sort of felt like, in Whitaker's case, he fought a very smart game plan, maybe even a safe game plan, whereas in uh, Silva versus Weidman, you had Silva literally putting his chin out there, daring Weidman to hit it, and hit it, Weidman did. Yeah, I, I remember vividly watching that fight and getting up off my couch and screaming at the TV. Um, so it, it's one of those fights, and this whole list has got a lot of those fights, because that brings us to number four, which is another time I screamed uh, at a screen, and that was uh, at UFC 189, Chad Mendez taking on Conor McGregor in 2015. Yeah, and I have a feeling we'll see another fight on this list from that same show, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. Uh, no spoilers, but Mendez versus McGregor. Wow. So uh, this was supposed to be Jose Aldo. Aldo dropped out. Mendez was off hunting and eating somewhere, agreed to take the fight. And uh, it was finally going to be the test for Connor against a wrestler. And it was exactly what we expected in round one. Mendez took him down. Uh, more or less at will, ground and pounded him. I remember this visual of Connor looking up at the ref because Mendez was gassed out. He wasn't in shape for the fight, wasn't necessarily scoring a lot of damage, and McGregor looked to the ref like, hey, let us back up. But Mendez was doing a, a, enough to keep him down. It's just one of those things where, you know, McGregor comes back in round two, finally stands up, knocks him out clean, uh, but you just always had to wonder what if it was a full rested, a full camp Mendez, would it have been four rounds of that ground and pound? But you also have to think with Connor's left hand, I mean, he can nail that touchdown throw at any point in the game. So is it the same outcome? I don't know. I could go crazy with alternate timelines, Marty McFly and Doc Brown style, the butterfly effect. But for what it was, it was a super entertaining fight. And I believe the one and only, certainly the last time that we saw two live music performances uh, during the intros of each fighter's walkout. That was kind of fun. Yeah, that was kind of, that whole card, and, and like you said, we're going to talk about it again. That whole card was my favorite card in history. Yeah, same here. Cause, well, what else was, you had Gunner knocking out. Brandon um, Thatch. What? Brandon Thatch, right, right, right. <laughs> and then you also got Jeremy Stevens flying knee KO on uh, Dennis Bermudez. Right, and then what was it, Brad Pickett with a flying knee? or he? Oh, um, yeah, he got knocked out by Thomas Almeida. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. Thomas Almeida flying knee to Brad Pickett. What a fight card. My yeah, God. And, and we're obviously missing one in there, but uh, that is not number three. We're going to hit number three right now. Number three is Joanna Janjacek taking on Claudia Gedalia for the second time uh, in 2016. It was on the tough Joanna versus Claudia finale. Yeah, I love this fight. Um, Claudia, Claudia has had a couple of classics in there. I think it might just be by extension when there's not a lot of power at a weight class like 115 or let's say a 125 for the men, and you have such a technical striker in Joanna, you tend to get these classics. I mean, her rematch against Rose was a classic. This fight against Claudia was a classic. Her smashing Jessica Penny's face for four rounds. Oh, Not so much a classic, but so good, definitely <laughs> a, yeah, still so good, definitely a clinic in Muay Thai striking for MMA. Now, back to this actual fight, 
you know, Gedalia, very well-rounded fighter. Um, she has wrestling. She was able to take Yuana down. Yuana got back up. I thought she won rounds one and two. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I was also going to mention, let's not forget that a lot of people think Claudia won their first actual fight, Mm -hmm. which was for a title shot, only three rounds. Um, so you put together the eight rounds that these fighters have fought against each other. And it's really eight great rounds of mixed martial arts, very high level, uh, game planning comes into effect. And in this one, the rematch, five rounds for the title, Yuana got the better of Gedalia. Uh, you know, I think on the judges' scorecards, you might have won four rounds to one or three rounds to two. But it was a very, very close fight and a highly rewatchable one. Yeah, that one's super rewatchable. And if you don't remember the outcome, too, it's just absolutely insane that that's how it goes down uh, in the last three rounds after two. So that's going to bring us to number two. Number two is Justin Gaethje versus Michael Johnson just last year, 2017, at the Tough Redemption finale. Uh, what can, I mean, it, what fight of Justin Gaethje's in the UFC isn't a classic or not going to be on a top five list? For something, the guy just throws caution to the wind. Is it great for him in the long run for his career? No. <laughs> for his potential CTE? No, probably not. I mean, his manager probably begs him every day to fight a more you know tight and conservative game plan. But the fans certainly went out when Justin Gaethje fights, and that was the case in his debut against Michael Johnson. Uh, this is one of those fights where my words aren't going to do justice to the action that ensued. Uh, this is not... Like, number one is more of a technical masterpiece. Th- this, this is just is violence. What you would call, yeah, this is like a brawl masterpiece. This is like the highest form of bar fighting you can almost get uh, if it was technical bar fighting. That's really what it is. It's almost like a technical bar fight. Yeah. But and not it, as technical as the best MMA. Yeah, and, and you're 100% right on that, too, because I think people look at Justin Gaethje, watch him fight, and just throw caution to the wind and forget that so much of what he's doing is, like, also crazy technical, which is insane when you think about it. But he, at the same time of being just crazy violent, he's also crazy technical. Um, And that brings us to number one, which is the technical masterpiece we've alluded to, the other fight on UFC 189 that we've alluded to. That's Robbie Lawler versus Rory Mack at, uh, at UFC 189 in 2015. Yeah, so this fight is a classic, and if you were going to do a double feature, let's say uh, UFC Fight Pass and Shill with your significant other and watch two fights in a row, watch this paired with uh, Carlos Condit versus Robbie Lawler uh, from just six months later, January of 2016, uh, another just classic war. But in this one, what you had was a real back-and-forth contest. Rory landed a head kick in, I want to say, round three that uh, wobbled Robbie Lawler. Mm. And you could even make the case that going into that fourth round, um, uh, Rory, excuse me, was up two rounds to one. So really classic stuff. But in the end, uh, Robbie Lawler busted up uh, Rory McDonald's nose so bad that Rory took what really wasn't like even a power shot, just a quick jab, and he crumpled to the mat. He just didn't have it anymore. This was a classic fight. I love the stare down between rounds. That's like an iconic shot. That's like Babe Ruth calling his shot. Mm -hmm. I want a photo of Rory McDonald 
and Robbie Lawler having that stare down between rounds with their faces bloody. I just can't say enough about this fight. It's my favorite fight of all time. You, and you're you're also missing in there my favorite part of that fight. You you neglected to mention Robbie Lawler's dangling lip, which is just oh, that's it's right. so gross. <laughs> And and if we're gonna yeah. we're gonna have a top fight of all time, we better have something that looks a little gross. So once again, we're gonna count down these top five international fight weeks of all time. Uh, number five on our list was Chris Weidman knocking out Anderson Silva, who was clowning around at UFC 162. Number four was Conor McGregor's hard left hand knockout of Chad Mendes at UFC 189. Number three, Yoani Jacek just barely outpoints Claudia Gadelia at tough Joanna Claudia finale. Number two was Justin Gaethje versus uh, Michael Johnson eventually getting the knockout at the tough redemption finale. And then number one, Dave's favorite fight of all time is Robbie Lawler finishing Rory McDonald at UFC 189 for the title. And those are the five best International Fight Week fights of all time. Don't like our list? Hit us up on Twitter at MMA, or you can hit me up at Gumby Vreeland. All right, and we're going to switch now to our fight card breakdown, which is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. ADK Fightwear, use promo code TURTLE, that's T-U-R-T-L-E, for 20% off your whole order at ADKFightwear.com. So uh, we're going to do a little mixed bag of the fight card breakdown. I'm going to up it up to five fights this week because we got two cards instead of just one. I'm going to start by taking Israel Idesanya over Brad Tavares. Israel Idesanya, a slight favorite, so... You know, it's kind of crazy that he's a favorite over the 8th ranked middleweight when he's unranked, but I'm going to take Israel Adesanya over Brad Tavares. I'm a little worried about Brad Tavares' injury that everybody's been talking about, and I think Adesanya is just creative enough to take him out. My underdog play for the week, I really like Rob Font over Rafael Asuncao. Again, a much lower ranked fighting guy, but he's got good power in Asuncao, while very crafty and very technical on the feet, sometimes doesn't have uh, all of the power that you'd want him to. So Font might just touch him once and it could be over I'm also loving Michael Chiesa over Anthony Pettis um Michael Chiesa betting off at negative 155 to Anthony Pettis' plus 130. I just think at this point in time, uh, the book is out on Pettis, and people know how to exploit it, and Michael Chiesa is the perfect guy for that. And that brings us to our two championship fights. So for the championship fights, I'm going with the favorite, Max Holloway at negative 135 to Brian Ortega's plus 115. I think... Holloway is smart enough to stay away from that finishing ability of Brian Ortega. And really, when you look at Brian Ortega's fights, he's gotten outworked by a lot of different guys, including Clay Guida outworked Brian Ortega. So when you you put all of that in there, if he's not going to finish Max Holloway, I don't think he's going to beat Max Holloway. So I'm going to go with Max Holloway there. And in the uh, main event, I'm going to take Stipe Miocic over Daniel Cormier. He has been off at negative 230, which I don't like at all, uh, to Daniel Cormier's plus 210. But uh, I still like Stipe for the win here. I just think he's got too much power. We've seen Daniel Cormier get rocked a couple of times by light heavyweights. He has not been punched by somebody who punches like Stipe Miocic. So I'm going, once again, Israel Adesanya over Brad Tavares. Rob Font over Rafael Sunsau. Michael Chiesa over Anthony Pettis. Max Holloway over Brian Ortega. And Stipe Miocic over DC. If you don't like any of my picks here, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. That's at Gumby Vreeland. Or you can hit up the show at Top Turtle MMA. Remember to check out both those Twitters, follow along. Also, make sure to hit up our Facebook page, Top Turtle MMA, and our new YouTube page. We've got a lot of original content there, so make sure you check them out. He was Shockwave Dave Tremonti. I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this was Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. See you next week.